Hi, I'm Angela Lee and welcome to the Will to Live podcast where we share with you the gifts of living. I speak to inspiring wellness leaders, mums, celebrities, business people, super grannies and more to help you live your potential, connect to your purpose and bring joy to your life. Discovering your will to live a fulfilling life starts now. Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Will to Live podcast. I'm very excited today to have Thea Baker, a women's health expert on today. So we've got lots of exciting things to um, chat to Thea about. So welcome Thea. Thank you so much, Angela. I can't wait to get into this stuff today. Yes. It gets me very excited. <laughs> yes, yes. Thea lives and breathes women's <laughs> health. And she's actually got a really strong background in women's health and well-being and worked extensively with women who have suffered traumatic births, recovery from births, and more generally the adjustment to motherhood to help heal and recover both physically and emotion- emotionally. She works as a movement specialist and a health and wellness coach, running her own safe and experienced inclusive space to explore health and well-being that's based in Melbourne and she creates transformational change in their lives with a counseling space she works with EMDR ACT and other mindfulness approaches Thea has a special interest in working holistically finding creative ways to combine physical and mental health believing that movement mindfulness and sound mental health practices all help create balance in a person's life so yeah, I just love that. And Thea has lots of different qualifications from an original history in HR, from wellness coaching, different training certificates, a master's in counselling. So she's a highly qualified um, person to speak on this topic. So I guess the first thing I wanted to sort of get you on for Thea is like, where where are we at at the moment? There seems yeah. to be some really positive changes, but mm-hmm. then... I'm not too sure. Like, I'd love to get your view on that. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, actually, because I was reflecting on this. I've been doing this work now in various sort of iterations um, for about 10 years in Australia. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I feel like some things have, have really positively changed, right? Like, mm-hmm. now I feel like it's a given that I don't have to have the conversation about the fact that women aren't just small men with breasts and a vagina, right? Like, yeah. I feel like particularly in the, in the health and fitness industry, when I'm t- talking to other personal trainers, they're like, yes, got that message there. You've banged that drum enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like talking about some taboos like pelvic floor dysfunction is kind of, yeah, that's out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some things where I feel like we're, we've made quite a lot of progress, but then I think then there are other taboos like heaven forbid we should talk about periods as a mainstream conversation or yeah. pelvic organ prolapse. Like nobody wants to talk about their cervix hanging in their knickers. You know, some of those <laughs> sorts of things is a bit, you know, still way off. Um, yeah. So from that perspective, I feel like there is some wins and then some not so much. I still feel like, I spend an inordinate amount of time with my clients talking to them about the need to advocate for their own health and well-being, And that's the bit that really starts to grate. I think that mm. um, women almost have to still be, we have to be experts in women's health before we can go see an expert <laughs> because yeah. otherwise there's this danger that we're not heard. Uh, we're still yeah. too easily dismissed, whether that's with mental health or physical health, actually both sides of that coin. So mm. it's kind of like, there are some awesome things that have happened. Mm. Uh, there are so many courses. So for example, for um, personal trainers now, there are loads of uh, pregnancy and postnatal courses. So when I first trained as a, you know, in um, 
in my, I did my cert four in personal training, there were so few pregnancy and postnatal courses to do to like get your insurance, right? Like to even be qualified in that space. Now there are loads of those. Um, but then on the flip side, I kind of go, what about all the other women that don't fit into that bracket? Like who's, tra who's training trainers to work with those people? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess that's the nature of change, right? With every step forward, there are more step forwards to be done. Yeah, yeah. I think um, what I found really um, interesting when you ran that education sessions for us is when you started touching upon like the history of women's health. And I was actually quite shocked because it, I guess I'd never stopped and thought as to why there is that difference. And yeah, I'd love for you to just to share a bit about that because I think it's really interesting for both women and men to understand why we may need to start speaking up about this and start advocating in this space. Yeah, there are a couple of different angles uh, to look at this from. And I think the most important, I always try and frame this is that actually when we look at um, female bodies anatomically, um, like since the dawn of time, the anatomical norm is a man, right? Leonardo da Vinci painted universal man or whatever he was called, right? It was always a man. And so it wasn't, it wasn't actually that women were excluded they were just never considered in the first place mm. and there is some fairly horrifying kind of language around how women are considered for example in the um, obstetrics world the sort of victorian construct of um there's no womb in the tomb for the womb um, is the kind of like it's kind of horrifying when you think yeah. about it that you know once the womb has done its job which is purely to procreate and that's it then you yeah. may as well whip it out and move on and just you know that's that's it we've served our function and that body part served its function so we may as well all just go ahead and have hysterectomies now yeah. what's kind of um, I guess worrying to some extent is that there is still uh, obstetricians and doctors and and all lots of different people often men still in the industry in those industries who have been trained from that lens and it's only mm. now that we're starting to understand that is a as a historical lens and actually it's a lens through which a lot of people practice women's mm. health and that actually there's a giant gap in the data um and that you know it's women have been excluded from research um empirical research either because um it's too complicated uh women have these hormonal cycle things that just get in the way of being able to make sure that you know we can be completely tidy with our data for example even in studies that have been done um it's normally at a particular point in time in a woman's cycle when their hormones are closest to matching what men's hormones look like, which is just so fundamentally wrong when you think about it, because they're <laughs> different. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so, and so we know, for example, when we come to anxiety, anxiety and depression, uh, and the drugs associated with managing that, they have, um, significantly different effects on women at different points in their cycle but because the data has never been done and run on women at different points of their cycle because because effectively mm. one woman is four women in terms of a data study whereas one man is one man because they don't yeah, have yeah, those yeah. different distinct cycles or yeah. phases of their monthly cycle um you know men's hormones cycle on a 24-hour basis so the same is the same is the same, but pick a woman in week one and a woman in week four, they present very differently hormonally. And mm -hmm. then what's more complicated within that is that each woman is 
quite unique in terms of their hormonal response and what's going on and levels of estrogen and, and progesterone and all that kind of fun stuff. So there's that whole construct of the, the research has never been done. And it's never been done for two reasons. One, because, well, the default is the, it actually, it's a 70 kilo white male. So it's, mm. it's even more, you know, um, yeah, gendered and sort of exclusionary in so many ways. Now, when you look at it that way. Mm. Um, and so uh, women hasn't, haven't been included in the data and then any, and then, and again, this is not man bashing, but if, if it's, and it has historically always been men in these mm. positions. Like it's only relatively recently that women were allowed to go to university for heaven's sake. My mom, who's what, 73, is one of the first women in the UK to go to university, right? So it's, it's taken a really long time for us to be mm. higher levels in positions, whether it be in the big pharma companies that are paying for a lot of the, a lot of the, the uh, research, mm. but also doing the research itself. So there hasn't been a woman saying, well, yeah, what about, what about looking at endometriosis, right? Mm. So actually women's, women's health issues have been really sidelined um, mm. until really, really recently. So on the upside is great news. We're getting some research, but it's really new. And so it's constantly changing. And because of the way, and you'll know this, but because of the way that um, studies are done, it takes quite a long time to get to those really high level level clinical trials that are that are really mm. well tested, um, and that takes time, unfortunately, and money. And mm. you know, some of these things aren't that sexy. Yeah, and and I think that's why. Like, I think that's a really good point for the you know for the females listening to to take on board is is that you know like we do have to speak up. Like, if things you know, we know our body. So if something's not right and we get told that it's fine, like we have to keep pursuing pursuing and looking for answers and that's certainly an approach that I take is like you know no hang on let's there is something going on let's delve a bit deeper and I think because some women like go oh no I don't want to be like cause trouble you know like I I don't want to put people out it's you know but it's like well you're not or you're not a troublemaker for speaking up you're actually just you know advocating for what should be there but it's not there but that's okay but you know what I mean like you need to speak up in those circumstances and and again like what you said before it's interesting it's like it's not male bashing at all. But the thing is, we shouldn't even have to say that because we're actually just stating facts. Like this is the facts in history. Mm-hmm. And we're, all we're doing is acknowledging those facts. And this is why these, this has to be an approach. It's not anything against men. It's just that this is the situation. So let's, yeah. let's go and deal with it, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's when, when we look at what drugs are available, for example, on the market, lots of drugs have been excluded from the market because they don't work on that white 70 kilo male. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually they've worked really, really well for females. We know, for example, that women present completely differently with heart attack symptoms than men, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's only the kind of heart attack man symptoms that we hear about. And so the women's health, so, you know, heart attack mm-hmm. in women is a really big issue with the education and all of that sort of public health messaging is all around how it presents in men, which is that tight chest numbness down the hands. Whereas we know a lot for women, they actually have really disturbed sleep before they're going to have a heart attack. There's some really interesting, very, very significant differences between the genders and Mm -hmm. acknowledging it is the, is, you know, the first step moving forward with that is that I guess where we're at now. Yeah, Yeah. no, definitely. And so you um, obviously see a lot of women in your practice, like Mm -hmm. what are sort of the top, I guess, three things that women are coming in for that they're really struggling with? Because if you're seeing them struggling with that, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are probably in similar boats, you know? 
Yeah, I think um, one of those is precisely what you were just saying, that whole advocating and being seen and heard in, mm. the, in the broader medical system. And I think that's a really westernised construct, right? Mm. That's mm. how it, most issues are managed in Australia. Okay, mm. you know, I'm, I'm from England originally. It's very, very similar, right? I'm sure it's quite similar in the US as well. Mm. And um, women constantly having to go back and push back. And, and it, that issue um, I see as being one of the like um, generic hurdles for mm. lots of the other things that come underneath that. So for example, one of the top things that I often talk about with my clients is periods, right? Mm. So Periods are a real bane of contention. I posted a really interesting article that made my blood boil. It was on the Guardian, um, on the Guardian's website last week about, you know, periods are just surplus requirement for most women and they're just a nuisance and we should just get rid of them uh, by taking oral contraceptive pills or, or other things like the marina. And um, what's, what's happening there is we're not getting the information around what actually is valuable about having a, a, a period cycle, a normal regular menstrual cycle. Mm. Um, but what's, when it's considered irregular, you'll go to the doctor and the doctors will just go, oh, well, here's the pill. Or, you know, it's painful. Oh, well, here's the pill. Or, <laughs> you know, or it's this. Okay, here's the pill. Uh, and then maybe they'll do a bit of investigation and then they go, well, it's fibroids. Probably one of the best things you can do is take the pill. Like, you know, it's the cheapest, most um, easily accessible option. And because there are so many different versions of it now, you can probably find one that will roughly fit and let's not actually deal with the problem. Um, mm. Uh, because there's a solution in the medical system, which is the pill, as opposed to let's just figure out that a normal menstrual cycle, and I use use that term loosely, yeah. you know, should shouldn't be excessively painful, shouldn't certainly shouldn't limit your ability to do life, right? You shouldn't mm. need to take time off work for it, mm. um, and it you know shouldn't take you to your bed for three days, and it shouldn't be you know you shouldn't be bleeding longer than seven days, and you shouldn't be losing an excessive amount of blood and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But that's you know if 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 those things are arising, then here just take the pill, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to well maybe something else is amiss here. Maybe there is some endometriosis, and what's your family history? And let's look at you know, your genetic background, because we know, for example, that fibroids are more likely to arise in women who are black, right? So, you know, there's all this data out there, but because there's an easy fix, it's the pill. So, um, it's quite fascinating too. I'm seeing even now with some of my friends, kids who are getting, um, you know, a little bit old now and starting their periods, like they're actually getting told that now as well. And it's yep. like, that's just, it seems to me to be getting quite young, like yep. younger and younger, where it's just getting pushed pushed down which i yeah. i don't think can be a good thing long term no totally and then we have girls who are missing you know we're just taking one pill packet after another they never get one heaven, yeah. heaven forbid we should be inconvenienced like it's almost like mm. so yeah on the one hand we started this conversation with the fact that one of the best things is i i think of recent years is that i don't have to bang that drum about women aren't the same as men mm. um but it's like we still have to try and fit in with that model because periods are an inconvenience and somehow there's mm -hmm. still this belief that our female hormones make mm. us irrational, make us unmanageable, make us difficult, make us all these negative things. Mm. Um, and mm. I think that messaging is still with our girls. It's one of my big 
dreams is to go, you know, talk in schools and, you know, get girls to recognize this isn't gross. It's not dirty. It's not, there's no shame attached to it. And Mm. actually once it settles down, it's okay to have a little bit of erratic for the first few years, but once it settles down, it should, should be manageable and shouldn't inconvenience you that much yes it costs money to deal with but that's annoying and don't start me on that one but you know um that's it's and if it's not then get help because there are things that can be done other than taking the pill i agree and i think it's like that education about understanding that they you know how they might might feel different at different phases in their cycle and actually looking to plan around that because i know you do quite a bit of that like with your yeah. training and how yeah. you you know what people are going to do in different cycles did you just want to share a couple of tips around you know what you do sort of training wise in different phases of the cycle yeah. or how you manage like mental health in different stages of the yeah, cycle totally. yeah. yeah um and so and then that'll actually lead really beautifully into the second one that is a big thing in my in in my practice as well because it's mm-hmm. different ages and stages so yes we're cyclical on a monthly basis but we're also you know females are cyclical creatures so we go through puberty then we do that phase of like childbearing years when we're uh, having these regular cycles hopefully and you know normal cycles whatever that looks Mm -hmm. like for that person and that's the other thing is that each woman needs to own what their normal is and I push back a lot so one of the first things I do every single new client in my in my movement studio um, is kind of like encouraged strongly <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to start tracking their cycles. And I really, you know, I put the onus back on them. This is your body. You need to own it. Um, mm-hmm. For so long, we've kind of given that power over to other people, um, whether that be to male partners or to these, you know, other systems, right, that, that manage mm-hmm. us, um, mm-hmm. even if that's just the pill, actually, weirdly. Um, but that they are aware of what's happening at different points in their cycle. So how do they feel? So we know. The, the research is really um, split on, uh, it's really interesting because again, three years ago, I was preaching one message about training and periodization for periods. And now because there's been some more newer research, it's kind of like, it's kind of split. Like there's 50% on one half of the fence and 50% yeah, yeah. on the other. And yeah. so I kind of say, fundamentally, it's what works for your client. So we know, for example, that at the um, middle of their cycle, a middle of a female cycle, then that's when they're ovulating. and often they're feeling great have all the energy in the world i often say that this is the time that women should be launching new programs and you know sending their stuff out to the world because that's when they're going to really nail it they're going to be really full of energy and feeling good hopefully i actually took Um, that on board after you talked about that like i actually looked at my cycle when i was you know doing more speaking or when i got up like that with my live videos and it it is like you do feel better at that phase yeah Mm. and then but then coming down the other side just before you bleed then often women will just want to go hide in a hole and mm. i encourage them like i'm like if you feel crappy send me that text message that says you feel you know you're on day 27 and or for that woman day 24 whatever it is and yeah. um i'll do that session which is my gentle flow session that just keeps them moving mm. gives them that connection with me because they want to get out of the house but they don't want to do too much um and then at other times we'll you know at the after day ish seven we'll start going hard again, you know, in the mm. middle of the cycle, that's when we can really, you know, beat some PBs or lift a bit heavier and all that kind of stuff. But, but I now go with uh, a lot of the work that I do is, is like, it comes from the perspective of yes, women's health, but everyone's an individual. So layer those two things together. Mm. The, I put the pressure or the onus back on the client to report what is normal for them, what feels good for them, what works for them, mm. and then leave, leave me to do 
the technical stuff behind the scenes and you just rock up and I'll do your thing. So yeah. I, you know, I ask them the minute they walk in, just remind me what day are you? Oh yeah, cool. That's what I thought. Or normally I see them weekly. So then I, I'm kind you of know where they're at. Yeah. And we just roll with it. And if something weird's going on, then we make note of it. And, and that's from a mental health perspective too. You know, there's all sorts of um, interesting research around uh, if we allow women to be fully present in their cycles, what um, they can take ownership for, like giving them their power back, letting mm. them own all, of, all aspects of their, their health. And mm. they're actually it, much healthier for it, right? Mm. Much, much. And then they're not having to access the, the Western model so much. Yeah, and that's why I really wanted to get this podcast out there is for people to start to understand, like, you know, what could be happening with their body and, yep. and how to go about doing it. Because people are like, where do you go? You know what I mean? Yep. Like, there's so many different resources and, mm-hmm. you know, people approaching in different ways, which is okay. But it's like, you know, I, I think that's so key is just listening to your body, taking ownership and, you know. Yep. Yeah, one, yeah, one of my jobs, I feel, is that, a is to give women the power, like empower them to own it. To mm. and but then I also I feel really strongly about connecting with other modalities, therapists, um, mm. GPs. Like I know where my clients can go and get an iron infusion mm. uh, because that's such a prevalent issue. I'm like, go get your bloods taken, find out what your ferritin stores are, and mm. if if your doctor says, oh, well, you have to go through private medical and go sit in a hospital and have it done, let me know because I know where you can go and get it done. Uh, mm. Just in the doctor's surgery, it takes an hour and a half, and it costs you all of like a double session and the cost of the iron itself. Like, mm. it's my responsibility. I, it's not my responsibility; it's their responsibility. But if I know the people then mm. I can save them a lot of time and effort because actually that's the burden we're so time poor and we're so busy being and doing for so many other people in our lives that of course we end up putting ourselves at the bottom and so I guess my job is to kind of encourage them to put themselves back at the top of the list and if I can shortcut the process for them and say these are the people that I know can help you Mm. Go and ask and speak to this person and, you know, whether that's the pelvic health physios, whether that's my body workers, whether that's, you know, my, mm. my, my, my um, nutritionist, if I use those, and then the functional medicine people, those all, it, the whole lot. Um, yeah. Because there is an awesome network out there. Yeah. That's what I think. That's what I think. That's a really good point. Like if they don't get the answer that doesn't feel right, like keep pursuing and, you know, find another answer. Totally. There is an answer out there. There is. There is. And it's not, it's not always a pill packet, like any, any drug. That's, I, I don't just mean the oral contraception in that instance. Like it's too easy to, to end up being medicated straight away. And that also it goes for mental health. Um, and, and thinking, Angela, about what you were saying about um, other things that I really see as present at the moment, mm. the whole issue of perimenopause, menopause, that, that conversation is, is a really interesting It's coming one. up a lot in my network of friends as well because, like, everyone's kind of, like, you know, between 40 and 45 and people are like, and no one wants to go, no one wants to be there. Like, what is it? Like, what, you know, yeah. so I, think I would love for you to share that because I know some of my friends would be like, oh. <laughs> it's a really interesting yeah. one because um, I think that, again, this is one of those things that's been as one of those societally perpetuated, not an urban myth because it's real in some, for some women, right? But yeah. all we ever focus on is the worst parts of it. Like the fact that, you know, we walk into a room and can't remember what we're doing there. Or, you know, we're up half the night with hot sweats and our sleep is terrible. 
and you know periods are like off the wall crazy either erratic mm. or like super heavy or whatever it is like losing mm. our mind and yelling at the top of our voices whatever mm. um mm. and those sorts of symptoms are what we've well certainly when i was growing up that's what menopause was right mm. except menopause is a funny thing because you can only retrospectively recognize it that it's happened right menopause is 12 months after you had your last period but you don't a you don't know that unless you've been tracking which is also why i make all my women yeah all my women track their cycles right otherwise you don't know so again looking at data we've got some skewed data because we've not been tracking very well for a long time now there's apps and stuff and it's a lot easier um mm. and more women are doing it mm. um so we don't know it's happened until 12 months after it's happened, <laughs> but actually most of the symptoms are related to the previous 10 years. So we know that in Australia, menopause roughly happens at around 51 and a half on average, mm -hmm. um, but it can be sort of 10 years either side of that. Like it's that vague. Um, so a lot of it is genetic. So if you know when your mom and grandmother had their period uh, had their menopause and we can you can roughly guess yours will be around the same sort of time mm -hmm. um but all of those funky sim symptoms it's like puberty in reverse right so we have funky stuff happening in puberty and then we do it again just as we're about to run out of, of x mm -hmm. and 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 my my take on it is that it's a real opportunity like i see perimenopause so the 10 years before as the time to nail some of the stuff in your life so mm -hmm. balancing the toxins in your life whether that's alcohol chocolate sugar um all of that kind of funky stuff that that yeah. often women at that age are doing so it's what is it the coffee chocolate wine diet Tox yeah, and toxic people, I right. think, they yes. start to set boundaries, you know, a bit better. I think that's really we important to you. definitely yeah. have fewer mm. of those things in life to give, and I'm trying not to swear too much because I am a bit of an <laughs> um, But, um, yeah, we, have, we are better at just owning our space and going, you know what, enough is enough. I, I'm owning my power and this is my hard line and, you know, mm. people that we've maybe tolerated for a long time and we just go, you know, I haven't got time for this. We're very much more on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like nodding my head going, you have no ideas. That's very true. <laughs> um, but also then it's the time to maximize on the protective benefits of progesterone that we still have and all of that estrogen that's happening in our body. Because mm. after we're the other side of menopause, that that drops off for us all. And we know that uh, progesterone and estrogen, particularly estrogen is making a big difference in terms of our bone density. So we need to do all of our big heavy lifting. And that's not to say we should give up afterwards, but mm. that some of our needs are different after mm. menopause causes hit um and so doing all of that for those 10 years before prioritizing our own health needs whether they're mental health needs or, or otherwise physical mm. health and um really owning that and being able to be responsible you know in an i think and this is one of the messy parts of where we're at societally is that often we've got women who are having children later in life they're mm. having their baby so they may be pregnant and perimenopausal all at the same time. Mm. And then it's really difficult to unpick what's going on for them. Is the sleeplessness that they're dealing with purely because of, you know, being up half the night with little people or yeah. is it because there's some other funky stuff going on, you know? Yeah, well, I had a girlfriend who had her, I think her second at 43 and yeah. literally when she was one and a half, two, she went full into menopause. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it just happened like very quickly like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and it can make for a real roller coaster for yeah. women in their forties. It can be really mm -hmm. difficult. Plus, we also know that this is the time where 
we can be handling some of our trickiest things. Like we often see a lot of often, uh, sometimes women are separating and divorcing in this age. This well, fifty percent. They say it's fifty percent, and it yes. happens in your forties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I saw of, something fifty percent of forty-year-olds are yeah. potentially yeah. getting divorced. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's those stresses. There's depending on what we're doing in our working life, we mm. could be going back into the workforce if we've had time off, or we are going hell for leather because this is it. Now we get to really, because again, leveraging all of that, I've got this mentality that we're, yeah. we're often doing great things in our 40s, mm. right? Mm. Um, then we often have aged adults, uh, parents to care for. Mm. Um, this is the time when men, if we have men in our lives, may be suffering some health issues with them being in their 40s and 50s. And so then we're managing them as well. And mm. so there's this like midlife burnout that's happening at the same time. So it does mm. make for a, an interesting time, but, it, but it, it shouldn't be all doom and gloom. Like that's what I keep trying to get across to my clients who are in their 40s yeah. and like oh my gosh this is what menopause is going to be like i hate it i'm this or that or whatever i'm yeah. like why like actually this is a mighty time this is super powerful and actually mm. you know you've got this awesome window to get rid of some of this stuff out if you like do it do it now like and then live into old age beautifully yeah so yeah. what are some of the common symptoms that some of your i guess perimenopausal clients present with is it mm sort of emotional swings is it um yeah. weight gain is it yeah. Every, uh, all of the above, all of the above. Like, yeah. <laughs> depends yeah. on the woman right so yeah. i in my um in my private practice for um counseling and psychotherapy if women have had a history of anxiety mm-hmm. um and they happen to also be perimenopausal and they're like i don't understand why my anxiety levels have suddenly gone through the roof like mm-hmm. apart from all of those other things that i've just discussed like midlife yeah. Um, we also know that this shift in hormones, just like it did when we were 12, 13, 14, mm. makes for a rocky road, right? Mm. It makes mm. for like increased anxiety. So then if you can normalize it, like that, that helps, I think, to some extent, you know, it's mm. okay. You're not losing your mind. You don't need to suddenly go on medication that you haven't had to go on for years. It's, we can deal with this in some other ways. Um, so some, some of those sorts of issues, anxiety and depression definitely mm-hmm. increase mm-hmm. in this age bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, Sleep issues is a thing in this age bracket, but it's really complicated to figure out the chicken and egg scenario. So is it because women are having hot flushes that they're having disturbed sleep? Is it because they're maybe not dealing with some of their toxins in their body? So they're up in the night peeing out wine or coffee or whatever. Like, is it Mm. that stuff? Is it bad sleep hygiene habits? Like, you know, taking phones to bed and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, So that's, but sleep issues is definitely a thing for women in this age bracket. Um, that whole brain fog. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of interesting research around whether that is something that we just go, oh well, a bit like pregnancy brain. There's yeah. actually a lot of research now suggesting that that is just a made-up phenomenon that we have, we just let happen. And it's sleep mm-hmm. is the issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. because we're not sleeping well that those other things arise, as opposed yeah. to, well, this is the rest of my life. I'm never going to remember anything ever again. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of unpicking all of those things. Middle, mid tummy weight gain mm. is, is a is an interesting little shift for some women. Again, it's it's very it's it makes for an interesting conversation. What happened to your mum when she was, you know, there the that's where I, I start. What happened for your mum when she was going through this? Can you remember? Like a lot of women will go, I remember my mum. I didn't know at the time that this was perimenopausal, but yeah. now I look back and she was utterly 
bonkers for like five years there and then I go oh yeah poor children in my house (laughs) I think it's just good to know like what I love about this is just knowing that you know this these changes are happening in the body so and that's okay but this is why what we're saying earlier is that it's so important to like just absolutely prioritize that self-care and approach things differently because we have to approach things differently because hormonally things are changing. So things have to change around us. And yeah. uh, I think that's, I think in a way, sometimes women need, um, we shouldn't need a reason to prioritize self care or to justify it. But I think knowing this, I know will help a lot of women in terms mm-hmm. of being able to schedule that in. Cause that's something I, you know, work a lot with them and, you know, you've just got to, we've got to find the time. Like it is really important. So I think this is a great, um, you know, great for that. <laughs> something that I, um, wanted to ask you, I guess, from a health professional point of view is like with the health professionals that you've seen, like what do you feel health professionals can do differently to help address um, some of the issues in women's health in terms of how they approach it? Is there any sort of global things that you, you see could be done differently or? I think it's, I mean, it depends on which kind of health professionals. Like I think I align myself a lot with like-minded ones now and avoid other ones like Mm. the plague but Mm -hmm. anyone who doesn't consider um it's a tricky one right on the one hand we're not a special population we make up 50 percent of the population so it's it's really not that we should be niche anymore (laughs) but but it would be great if it we were if there were separate questions specifically around women's health like i Mm. don't want to be considered as a as a male right Mm. because Mm. i'm not that you know, 70 kilo white male. That's not who I am. And and I would like to think that my GP, for example, gets that. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that on the one hand, yes, we are different, but we are not a subclass. I guess there's a balance in there, right? It's we're, we're different. We're not worse than, or we yeah. than, or anything. We're just different. Um, yeah. And um, that whole construct of individualization Right. Because, and it's just, I was thinking when, when you were just talking, I was like, actually, that's the same as men, right? Men also need to prioritize self-care. Men in this age group are also under the pump in from a whole bunch of different reasons, but it's yeah. different, right? Yeah. I was, um, I was reflecting on a presentation that I ran in New Zealand last year um, and reworking it for another presentation. And I was thinking about the fact that I actually spent the first few minutes talking about the fact that I would want you to ask these questions of your male clients too, but it's what you do with that information that is different for women than for men Mm. and understanding some of the background, you know, to to question stuff, to, to kind of take off the lens Mm. that is the lens that we've been wearing for the last, since the beginning of science, basically. Mm. Um, And consider that there may be other reasons why. So if that, if that data doesn't show up, in that way like is there another reason could there be other things that are going on and to not minimize women who then turn around and go yeah i'm really sorry i'm back for the fourth time but Mm, yeah (laughs) to be heard to spend time women just need to be connected with Mm. you know they need to be asked and understood and they need Mm. to be seen and be heard and i think that that's true of all humans actually but yeah um, the reasons are different for women Something we've talked about a lot, like you've, well, you've talked about a lot is about, you know, women sort of advocating for their own health and, you know, speaking up. And it just reminded me, like, I know that when I was in hospital with my son, Will, in the intensive care unit, I was speaking up overly. Like, I had meetings with everyone. I would make them find a solution. I was like this. Mm-hmm. And it was quite funny. I remember, I can't remember when it was in the journey, but my mum sat to me and she just said, Angela, she goes, 
I wouldn't have asked one question. She said, you'd be dead by now. Like she actually said that to me. She said, I wouldn't have questioned the doctor. You know, and that's that general, that's a generational thing. Generational, absolutely. You know, and I just thought, I mean, he ended up obviously passing away, but it was still like, he would have passed away a lot earlier. And it just made me think, you know, that's what the culture was. So a lot of people even coming through my age, you know, still don't do that because that's what their parents did. So I think it's like, what do you think it is in women that we need to overcome to find (laughs) that voice to speak up because it's certainly a journey I've been on and I and I'm quite an outspoken confident person but I've still questioned myself sometimes and I'm it's really interesting um yeah I'm just curious your thoughts on that yeah it is really it's it's fascinating I was just thinking about my trips to hospital and because I've had a few of like in the last few years and I do wonder whether I just kind of you know not I was gonna say bow and curtsy to my to my surgeons because you know they're surgeons yeah but then the flip side is I've also had gynecological surgery mm. and I have adamantly stood my ground so my without going too much into my own personal medical history yeah. um I was having to have um some investigative stuff going on like um uh hysteroscopy and a laparoscopy to find out what was going on and my my doctor said to me um my god who was divine like he's the only person that i'd I'd let anywhere near me with a speculum right the whole time i've been in australia and i've had to go there a lot and he said um you know women your age they're all getting marinas so while you're under why don't we just fit a marina because let's be honest here you're not going to cope very well if we have to do that in rooms and i'm like but why would i want to do that and he said well because all the other women your age are doing that. And I went, well, I'm not all the other women. Like, why would I, you know, my husband at the time had had the snip, so we weren't trying to stop ourselves falling pregnant. Like, it was just so bizarre to me. And I remember going, no, like, are you sure? Like, he kept asking me. And I'm like, Mm. no, absolutely not. Like, hear me and know that I know myself. And I don't know whether I was just born gobby or whether Mm. I, I just... I guess I've just spent a long time trying to discern what uh, listening. I, yeah. The universe has had to teach me the lesson a few times now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Our gut instinct is our gut instinct and it absolutely needs to be honored. Um, mm. And I think for too long women societally and culturally and mm. um, you know, in our individual relationships have uh, ignored what we've known to be true. And um, I guess that's the thing that I would say to women is that you just have to, put all other things aside. I know our job is to nurture and to care for every other person in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can't do that for ourselves by listening to what we know is right in our tummies, then mm. we're doing ourselves a disservice and therefore we're doing all of the people we love and care for a disservice. And, and I often go back to thinking, what do I want my daughter to know? Mm. What do I want her to be able to own? And, and I kind of live vicariously for her if that makes sense and that sounds sacrificial but it's still I want her to be able to stand up for what she believes in and um to trust herself like we don't need to be kept Mm. or beholden to or any of that stuff and I think uh, yeah Yeah. I sound like a bit of a raging feminist at this point but I think (laughs) I think a lot of it is to do with how we have at the female race has been perceived yeah for so yeah. long yeah yeah I agree and I think sometimes females feel a bit um because we often are people pleasers like we feel a bit pressured to in certain situations if someone keeps you know like that doctor suggested that several times to you you know yeah. so a lot of people would go oh okay well that's what I need and yeah. I'm very much like you and 
I try to get women to tune more into them the centre mm -hmm. because there's so much information out there. And sometimes if you just tune into you and see what feels right for you and trust that, like you said, I think is a really important message. So if women can get back to doing that, because we're highly intuitive beings, so if we can get back to doing that, we can move yep. forward. And if something doesn't feel right, don't go with it. Even, you know, even if you just pause for a moment and then maybe come back and go with it. But I think... Yeah, I think that that's really, yeah, yeah, really important as well. There's that, um, there's that quote, and I'm not going to get it right. It's a mm. Viktor Frankl quote about creating space, right? Like mm. the mm. biggest gift we can give ourselves, I think, is to give ourselves space to make decisions. We don't have to make it today, yeah, like straight away. Um, I think I probably said the first time to my surgeon, well, I don't really know why I would want to do that because you know my husband's had the snip, like it's not an issue. And then he would have said, I'll go away and think about it. And I'm like, okay, but in my head, I'm like, I'm. Uh, there's nothing I need to do with that, that piece of information. But other yeah. times like you feel you have to say yes. And yes. I've, I've made this really interesting switch. It's a tiny, tiny little thing, but instead of apologizing for not doing something on email, cause I'm forever behind on my admin. Right. And instead of sort of emailing dear so-and-so, I'm really sorry, blah, 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 blah. It's taken me so long to do this. I've now gone dear so-and-so thank you so much for waiting patiently for blah, blah, blah. Like it's yeah. just, and it felt so incredible because yeah. instead of like, a, why do I have to apologize all the time? My life is busy. I'm juggling many different things, many different children, yes. a partner who is another man child, like two businesses and a whole bunch of other crazy. Like it's okay that it takes yeah. me longer to do stuff. I don't I think that reframes good. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm. Just yeah. giving ourselves space. And permission, yeah. crikey permission, yeah. Yeah, no, I love that, I love that. Um, so we're sort of coming to an end now and what I ask the guests at the end of each podcast is like, what would be sort of your top tips to find the will to live your most fulfilling life? Is there something you do or some gems that you've passed on to clients? It's really interesting actually. I was thinking about that um, when I was listening to one of your other podcasts. <laughs> I was thinking, how would I answer that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've done that kind of adversity and I've had tough times. And I think so many of us have. It's not like my story's any more tragic or more horrible than anyone else's. Yeah. But I think the thing that I've really um, worked hard on is I decided how I was going to frame that story mm. um, or mm. those stories. Like it's how I've turned it into it being the good thing in my life rather than the thing that kind of um, turned me into a victim or, you know, it, it didn't get to own me that way. So I often get my clients, whether they're particularly in the mental health space um, to kind of go, you know, what is the story? What is the story you want to tell around that, that mm. event? And mm. you get to choose because then, then the power's there. So the power's been mine rather than the power being in, in the bad thing that happened. Yeah. How I choose to frame that. So the story that I choose to give it. Yeah, I think that's a really good message for yeah a lot of women. It's certainly what I've really worked hard on doing as well yeah. because I think yeah. it's so important. And it, it's quite funny. I had a bit of a – it was sort of like this dream the other day. It's as if, like, I had this dream that, like, this catapult where the rocks were pulling me down and it's like every time I seem to get pulled down by these challenges, it's as if like I get flung higher. And I just thought there's some, that's a cool visual to think of yeah. that all these tough times are actually, you know, flinging, get, put you that in that catapult and fling you high. And I think yeah. that's, um, you know, if you look at it like that way as a post-traumatic like growth thing yeah. as post-traumatic stress, totally. I think it's really yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's so important. Yeah, particularly for women, but also for the, our male listeners as well, as it's totally. all it's all in the reframe and perspective how we look at it, and yeah. and if you yeah. do look at it in that way, you will 
you know, take steps towards living your fulfilling life as opposed to going down that hole. So, yeah. Oh, oh, woe is me. And that whole resilience piece, right? If there's one thing that I think that that does is build a resilient story. And that's that's what we want, right? You want to be a resilient person because life's going to throw funky stuff at you sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. (laughs) No, that was, um, oh, Thanks so much, Thea. Great Pleasure. to have you excited. We might have to have a, some type of women's health part two at some point. I, <laughs> I might just put a little part one thing here. To keep that. But I think there's some great things there um, for women and also for our male listeners to understand what their partners might be going through or their female mm-hmm. clients as well to sort of, you know, step back and have a deeper understanding. So, you know, thank you so much for your time. I've, I've loved having you on. Pleasure. It's been a joy. <laughs> I'm Angela Lee, and you've been listening to Will to Live, the podcast. You can join us on Facebook in our Will to Live online community, that's L-I-V, Facebook group, or follow Angela Lee on social media and at www.angelalee.com.au. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to pay forward the gifts of living, please share with your friends, and if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast. Thanks so much.